0: I've had so many conversations with clients, and even one this week, who was had that fear of really marketing their business. And I said, but two weeks ago, you jumped out of a plane. But that, that, tell me if that is not hurtling to the ground towards your death. <laughs> to, like, what happened in that instance and versus this instance? Like, you could have died jumping out of that plane, but you chose to do it. You willingly chose to do that. That was a death experience. But marketing your business, let's draw the link between the two there.
1: Hey, guys, welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase. Joining me on today's episode is Dr. Simone Bohr. Simone, you've been recently featured in Forbes. You're known as the Hacks Queen. What does that mean? what's, What's the Hacks Queen mean? Yeah, Hacks Queen
0: means hacks in everything. So, I started off with brain hacks. I moved the neuroscience into the coaching, created this term brain hacks. But I sat there going, that's not just me. I am so multifaceted. Why am I just brain hacks? And I literally create hacks in my whole life. Now, what that means is Little tricks, activities, tools, ways of life to actually get through life achieve so much more than what anyone would ever deem possible. So, you're looking at someone here who is a mother of not just one, but two kids. So, since I last spoke to you, Goose, I've had a little baby as well. So, a newborn. (laughs) And I've also got a property investment portfolio, a thriving business, and I still get time to go pick up the school kids, go to do runs, look after my mental self, all of that. And everyone goes, how do you fit so much in? And it's through hacks.
1: Mm. Okay. I like it. I want to dig into a specific angle, uh, a thread I want to pull on. So, you have done a PhD in neuroscience. So, you – and you do coaching and all kinds of like, – you've been really thinking about how – The brain works. And I want to ask you a question. How does our perception shape our reality?
0: Oh, oh, oh. it's everything. What What a great question, Goose. It is everything. And I always say that your reality is actually you, where you're situated internally. So, our perception actually creates everything around you. So, if you think it is possible, it is absolutely possible. If you're already there, it is absolutely possible and you can create future memories of yourself and subconsciously, you will always find yourself to that future memory. So, your reality is absolutely the key to everything. The perception of your reality is key to everything and whatever you think of in the mind and whatever you think is possible or is currently possible It's reality. So I want to dig into that
1: because there's like, that was like a 30,000 foot view of, well, yeah, your perception is reality. Good, good. How and why? And I'm very interested to then kind of lead into another question Who is having the thought that is creating the perception? Oh,
0: (laughs) yes. That that we can we can go into little uh, if, uh we can go into quantum physics on that one if you want to go that far.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like you've done a PhD <laughs> about- in neuroscience, you've been thinking about all this kind of stuff. Do I know? Yeah, we've spoken about this kind of stuff before. That's why I'm like, huh, last time we spoke, yeah. we only just got to crack the surface of it. So I'm not wasting any time this time around. So how? No.
0: Yeah. You're how, going s- straight in the heart.
1: Straight in there. How do how do our thoughts create? Our reality. And then the follow up question is yes. who's having the thought?
0: Okay. So you have an idea or a thought pattern. Now, whether it's true, whether it's not true, the same neuronal pathways will light up. Now, who is having that thought? That's a really good question. If we go into quantum physics for just a moment, um, and I'll get a little bit techy, but if you'll stay with me on that, we as human beings can only see something like 5% of the visual spectrum. But how do we know radio waves are real? How do we know that microwaves are real? We can only see that animals, can see other parts of the visual spectrum. So dogs, for example, can only see in black and white. Birds can see ultraviolet. So they, what we see of birds is not anywhere half of the markings that birds actually have. So the first concept that I just want to get across is just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's real. doesn't mean it's not real, sorry.
1: Yeah. Well both ways, so, just to be knowing
0: to be that. Clear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh absolutely absolutely, you're right. <laughs> so that thought can occur multiple times across the world. Because when we go into knowing that we are a little energy part, we we're made up of atoms, at we're not fully solid beings, and we're made up of energy, and that energy can have crossovers between you and me there goose between anyone and anyone in the world so therefore the same thought can occur either in me someone else and you've always had those thinking those um experiences in life whereby you might think of someone you haven't thought of for five ten years then literally that same week they call and the question is who owns that thought and how did that how did that phone call occur? And so for me, I I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And it's all like the um the planes, um the Wright brothers with the planes. There was other people trying to invent the plane at the same time. And if everyone is trying to invent something at the same time, someone's gonna bust through.
1: Yeah, well this you've touched on a few things there that I wanna um I want to expand on, which I think will be a good, it's a good platform for the conversation. The first thing I want to talk about is quantum entanglement, quantum entanglement, which is what you're specifically talking about there. It's like if you have a thought around, you know, everyone's kind of had this this experience, which is too frequent, uh, too frequent to be uh, uh, like c- uh, circumstantial, and then but it's not common enough for it to be, you know, necessarily evidence to, to most people. But I heard it. I heard something. I've got to validate this as a hundred percent a fact, but I heard it from a reliable source. That if you took all of the molecules in the known uh, universe and and pushed them all back together, it would be the size of a green pea, right? Because so much of the, there's so much negative space in amongst all the atoms and particles. And so, the idea of quantum entanglement is the idea that uh, any particle which has been, been co-related or is in the same space or exists coexists as a single particle or single mass structure which then for some reason any reason gets um dissected or becomes separated from itself no matter how far apart those particles exist they will always be entangled at a quantum level and they've proven that out by uh you know by literally doing that by taking a particle splitting it in half moving the two halves like hundreds of kilometers away from each other and then they were like one would react when the other one was touched and all, all of this kind of stuff. So that's really, really interesting. And I want to, um, I'm going to say a few things that I'm going to, um, then I'm going to shut up and actually, actually ask you a question. We also talked about this idea that, um, that we are only perceiving a certain amount of our current reality. And I was listening to a talk by a guy named Don Hoffman, who wrote a book called the case against reality. And he's a, have you read that book by any chance? You don't. If you heard about it, oh, it's fast. I haven't read the book either. I listened to the talk uh, by him. Fascinating concept. His his concept is that it, we have been evolutionarily designed to filter out reality. Right. This is part of it. Now, the reason that that is the case is as you pointed out we can only we can only perceive like a tiny fraction of the total electromagnetic field so there's all this stuff that's happening that we don't even perceive that different animals might perceive smell sight sounds all of this kind of stuff that exists but from an evolutionary function we need to focus on the things that are going to be what they call fitness payoffs things like you know feeding uh fighting fleeing and reproducing right and so uh if we, if we were distracted by this whole entire version of reality that doesn't necessarily relate to one of those four core functions, then then in fact, evolutionarily, we would be weaker and less likely to survive. So I'm going to loop this back to then the, the point you made in the very first instance, that true or not true, your brain fires in the same way when we have a thought. So... If we can, if there is a whole reality that exists outside of our current level of perception, and we can, and our brain reacts in the same way, whether we have a uh, a real a true thought or a not true thought, however we want to define those two characteristics, and if our perception creates our reality, does that mean that we can just create any reality we want? One
0: hundred percent.
1: To what degree is that true, though? But because this is an interesting thread to pull on. To what degree is that an absolute truth, and why can't I spontaneously grow wings and fly right now?
0: Oh wow! <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that, Goose. Why? what why? Why can't you? What's what is real and what is not real? Mm. Yeah. What? What's what? What is the construct or the container that we can? work in that we can create having said that you have seen the people who don't believe they are people and they are some form of an animal Mm. and they fully believe that and they undergo various body modifications Mm. to turn themselves into that animal as much as possible and the question is are they an animal or are they a person
1: i think it comes down to the procedure right because if they're the perceiver, if they're the, in, in their, reality through the eyes of an elephant is different to the uh, reality through the eyes of an ant. And so, depending on the lens at which the reality is being perceived, surely that dictates what the answer is going to be. Because I might look at them and see human, but they might look in the mirror and see cat or whatever they've decided to be, right?
0: And, and we got touched on a really interesting point there, Goose, that- life is actually meaningless we attach the meaning to it so if you think about what you see in front of the mirror with that person who thinks that they're a cat and that they're perceiving that they're a cat but we look at them and we perceive them as a human well whatever you see is meaningless until you attach that meaning to it so they perceive that they're a cat but i would perceive that they're a human or maybe not
1: Or maybe not, yeah, or maybe not, which is really interesting. And so if, in effect, what you're saying is that anything can be, depending on how we perceive it and what meaning we attach to it, what do you think is really stopping people from achieving everything they want in life?
0: Themselves, 100% themselves. And so one of the questions I ask People exactly of that is I go. What are you going to do to get out of your own way? Because it is always themselves.
1: And how can people get get out of their own way? Like, have you got any? I'm steering in this direction because you're the hacks queen. So, what hacks can people use to actually start getting out of their own way? Because it's my 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 worldview is that if everyone stopped having. Fu- fundamentally the fundamentally, I guess the only real reason on a quantum level that I couldn't spontaneously grow wings and fly away right now, if you really, 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 really get down to it is because it, at some level, I just wouldn't believe that it's true, right? I just wouldn't believe it. I'd be like, come on, come on. I mean, look, I can believe a lot of stuff, but spontaneously growing wings and flying away, I mean, that's probably just a bridge too far. And so to the degree that I can't get over the limiting belief is to the degree that I can't, and this is going to sound wacky to someone. They're like, fucking grow wings and fight. But, like, on a theoretical level, like, for anything to be true, the only, like, at a quantum level, the only limiting factor is our ability to know that it is true, to to genuinely get out of the limiting belief and to create a, be able to f- create that perception of reality, which the act of creating a perceiving, the observer effect creates it. And so, bringing this all the way back then to things like, Happiness, success, well-being, achievement, these things that are more tangible and more realistic than growing um, wings and flying away. what practical advice or hacks or steps or strategies do you have that you can help to for, for people to remove their limiting beliefs?
0: Yeah, so hack one. actually look at the worst case scenario. So, everyone has the fear of, that's stopping them from doing it. And they go, oh, I can't do that because, um, I, you know, my business will collapse. And I go, let's stop there. So, hack one is going, what would actually happen to your life if your business collapsed? And get them to look at it. And, and usually, I haven't come across one where the whole life goes to, to, to threads but they actually li- think out what that worst-case scenario is. And that worst-case scenario is never anywhere near where their fears or their beliefs say that they will. So, that's hack one. Hack two. Can I,
1: can I, can I stop you there? I just want to sort of challenge that thinking a little that's bit, right. right, because it's useful. I actually have a different perspective on that, that if you follow the thread of what it, what's the worst that could happen, ultimately it always ends in death right if you continuously follow that thread right okay so what could happen the business could collapse and then why my my wife might leave me and then i'm going to then this could and eventually if you just keep saying and then what would be the worst thing that could happen and then it ultimately always ends in death but that can actually be a liber- liberating phenomenon not a not a disempowering one it can be an empowering one and to the degree that you don't have to just make a decision of like, would I die for this choice? That's not actually uh, where it gets to. But you, you suddenly get to a position where it's like, okay, on the absolute extreme end is death. But the reality of that happening or the probability of that happening is pretty unlikely. And then it's kind of like, it's almost like price anchoring in sales. It's like, well, the extreme end is death. So everything above that is like a gradient of success. So, all right. And it kind of puts things back into perspective. It's like, well, I mean, I'm probably not going to die. So, okay, so this really probably isn't that bad. And so, I actually, I've actually found that to be tremendously useful, particularly when the stakes are high. To go, okay, cool. Well, this is what it really looks like. And so, of course, it never usually ends up that way. But, but I think there's an empowerment in a first confronting that reality or fear setting to a certain degree. To go, okay, cool. Like, let's get real. How bad is going to be? What do you think about that? That idea, that that perspective or point of view.
0: Absolutely agree and, and I've had so many conversations with clients and even one this week who was had that fear of really marketing their business uh, and and I said, but two weeks ago you jumped out of a plane. But that, that tell me if that is not hurtling to the ground towards your death, <laughs> to, like what happened in that instance and versus this instance? Like you could have died jumping out of that plane but you chose to do it. You willingly chose to do that. That was a death experience. But marketing your business, like let, let's draw the link between the two there. And and a lot of and another another saying, and it's like almost a mantra was um, that I put to to people as well. At least you're not going to die, because that is the worst case scenario. Or, well, it doesn't have to be the worst case, because it is quite That's a liberating.
1: Totally, it's um, an outcome. Thought. It's a, it's a pot. You know, it's, it's not not good yeah. or bad unless we apply meaning to it anyway, right? So, yeah, mm. yeah, so,
0: and so and so. Some sometimes clients of mine anchor themselves to go, well, by doing this, I'm not going to die.
1: I think it's a it's an interesting lens to put over things, you know, to to make that kind of discernment. Because then you've also got to then layer over the context of. Ultimately, we're all going to die. Now, good or bad or whatever, however you want to think about the more transcendent version of the total reality and what what is death and all these other kind of questions we could delve into if we really wanted to go hard into it. But ultimately, you know, you have one life as we know it in the current format of our perception of reality. You only have one life, so ultimately, all you have is death and so you've got to make these decisions also against that lens of like am I going to be satisfied if I get to the end and ultimately face that reality and haven't done this thing if the absolute worst case scenario is I end up in that state but I'm going to end up in that state anyway what in fact do I have to lose by taking the chance? What are your thoughts on that?
0: And That's, that's the thing, Goose, is that 90% of us, 90% of us on our deathbeds regret that we haven't lived a life of our choosing in alignment with ourselves. We haven't played, played to the, in the space that we should have or wanted to. And we just haven't been living in alignment with ourselves. And I look at, I look at that stat uh, from Dan Pink's work and it's, it makes me a bit sad. That so many of us get to the end of our life and we have that regret.
1: So I know we're not even on hack two yet, <laughs> but but how how can people define or align themselves with a version that is gonna be them living their greatest potential? Like, does that make sense? Like, like whether you want to define it as like on purpose or in alignment with their values or whatever. Like, most people, yeah, get to the end of their life and they're like, "Damn it, I didn't do the stuff that would have been the most fulfilling version of this, this reality." How can people? How can people align themselves better to that to that version of reality?
0: So that's where our subconscious and unconscious mind comes in. That never lies if we're willing to listen to it and so it's about sitting in a quiet spot and you can either visualize and when you visualize it you, visualization is a is a gateway to open yourself up to your unconscious and subconscious mind or we call intuition or gut or um, heart led so if you get a random thought that comes out of nowhere Like it happened to me, it happens to me a lot, but one of the biggest random thoughts that came out of nowhere a couple of years ago, me heavy in the corporate world, the random thought came to what if you didn't have to work in corporate? I went, whew, I'd never known anything like that. Now, most people will dismiss that. They'll dismiss it and go, that's a silly idea, and on they go, back on in the work trenches, putting on, you know, day after day, live in the same groundhog loop day after day. But that little little fun question from your intuition or, you know, subconsciously, if you listen to that, that's how you can get into alignment, live on purpose, live to your values, ensure that you live a life that you don't regret.
1: Yeah, a lot of people ignore their intuition because they don't trust it because they're trying to live in their logic brain. And I've... Uh, You know, I've probably over the years been progressively moving from logic to. Let me rephrase that. Much more recently, I've learned the value that of intuition and realizing that actually, you know, if you really assess it, it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent like on the money. Why do you think that is? Like, what do you actually think? What do you actually think intuition is?
0: So here's 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 a little bit of here's a little bit of um. Uh, science for you there, Goose. Consciously, we only perceive 40 to 50 bits of information in any second. So, this is me looking at you, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing on the screen. 40 to 50, you know, pieces of information. Subconsciously, 11 million. So, if you And, and we think we consciously make all of our, all of our decisions. We only consciously probably make during the course of a day about 5%. 95% of those decisions are made subconsciously via habit, fear, belief, whatever it is. So it's a, if those couple of pieces of information don't tell you that subconsciously or intuition or gut or heart or whatever you want to call it, that is not, I guess, the powerhouse of us, I-, I don't know what does.
1: How can we become more attuned to that or how can we stop overriding it?
0: Uh, it's about it's – it, it's really funny because over the last 10 years, 90% of what we know about the brain has been researched and discovered. So we're on a, we're on a knowledge journey and we're still going to be on a knowledge journey. And so it's about getting this type of message out that you can live a life of fulfillment, of happiness, joy and abundance. And just getting that message out to people that it's really easy to do that. If you listen to this thing called intuition or heart being heart led or gut led or subconscious led, and be open to whatever comes, the thought spark, the visual, whatever comes your way. And I honestly think it is about letting everyone know about that too.
1: Yeah, I love it. Okay, cool. Let's go on to hack two because I want to try and get through the four hacks. You said you've got four hacks. So, uh, remind me, what was the first hack? Oh, I've got lots of hacks. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Well, four, four hacks to help people like get out of their own way, basically, right? So, what was the first one? Let's recap on that. Yep. Let's go to the second one.
0: So hack one was um, going to the worst scenario and actually fully playing that out and grounding you in that. Hack two is actually visualizing your future and being open to visualize your future, whatever that may be. And that can be queued. So you can essentially um, put yourself into a room, queuing a visualization, putting all of your fears, all of your beliefs into a box that is stopping you from moving forward, walking through a doorway at the end of the room and allowing whatever comes, whatever visual comes your way or whatever wisdom um, comes your way. That's another way you can get out of the way because you've effectively placed in a really safe box all of your visual, um, all of your fears, all of your beliefs, so you've removed that out of that nice safe room that you're in to then enable whatever gets downloaded or uploaded from your subconscious.
1: For someone who's not used to doing visualization and stuff like that, that sounds a bit woo-woo, right? Go take your fears and put them into a put you go into a mental room and like put your fears into a little box and walk out of the room and leave your fears behind. It sounds a little bit I say this respectfully, but it sounds like a, it sounds a little bit um, uh, ephemeral. So, how, like, what are some kind of, if someone's like not at that stage yet that they can fundamentally do that, how can, how, do you have any other ways you could try and explain that or give some context around how people can approach that?
0: Yeah. So, um, a way to approach it would be, well, it's, it's like you're, Um, the Byron Katie questions, Uh, if you didn't have that fear or those beliefs, what might, you know, what what might happen? And that's a really great big question for that.
1: I've been asking myself a question a lot lately and it's probably a good spot for it. Who would I be? Without fear or doubt, which is a really interesting question to ask yourself. Who would I be without fear or doubt? And I think if you can, and this is, I guess, related to this exercise, because if you can think about that, so whether it's like in your mind going into a room and doing this kind of stuff, or even just going, well, I guess if I did, if I could identify all of those things that are causing the fear and doubt, and if I could take them away. What would then be possible to me? How would I respond and react? How would I show up in the world? It's a very interesting thought exercise to do. What do you think about that?
0: At Goose, that's a hack. It's absolutely – and a hack – it's a hack. You've got your hack, which is, who would I be without fear or doubt? And That's that's a really deep question. It's a question that you can keep as an anchor to keep asking yourself, who would I be? Who would I be? Who would I be?
1: yeah. To be honest, like it's it's awesome because every time because everyone has fear and doubt all the time. I I do. I don't know about you, but all the fucking time I'm like, there's always something. There's always something somewhere that's stimulating my amygdala to go. Ah, you're gonna die, you know. And it's like it is a really interesting anchoring thought because it's like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if that's true. Like, back to the Byron Katie questions you mentioned, it's like, is that true? Question number one, is that true? Question number two, how can I absolutely know It, it is true. Question number three, who would I be without that thought? You know, you know, and so, I think that's three or maybe that's question four, but whatever the 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 point is. And it's like bringing that back and you suddenly start to then allow it to crumble away. And certainly that can start to then remove a lot of anxieties and start to open up, open up a lot more possibilities. That's for sure
0: hundred percent. And, and those possibilities are limitless because you can, you can literally then go, well, if I could do that, if I could do that, if I still had no fear, if I still had no doubt, what else could I do?
1: Yep. Okay. So hack number one was, um, what's the worst that can happen or fear setting? Hack number two
0: is either do a visualisation to remove your fear and doubt and beliefs or ask yourself the question, um, who would I be without fear or doubt?
1: So, you go through a practice to remove the fear. So, what's the worst that can happen? Identify it. Then go through an exercise to remove it. What's
0: number three? Actually asking yourself the two questions. How am I getting in the way of myself? To give yourself the awareness, then how do I get myself out of the way?
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Can you just say those two questions again?
0: Yeah. What am I doing to get him to my own way? And then how do I get myself out of that way?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. That's actually a really interesting question because that actually causes you to take uh, an external point of view on yourself and your behaviours, which... Is kind of like going back all the way back to the start when we started talking. It's like, who who is having the thought? You know, like who who is the who am I? Like what is what is I? Uh, and if you then are able to then observe rather than uh, be, because you are not I, and if you were able to then observe and say, well, what is I doing? What is happening here? How is this? How is this vehicle that I'm driving around, this like, you know, how how am I acting in such a way that is actually stopping me doing it? And then if I was observing this like I was observing somebody else, what actions would I tell them to do? Like, hey, you're about to trip over the thing. You can't see it. Step around the box you're about to trip over. What advice or how would I help somebody else? allows you to take that kind of like third-person view, which is a really interesting what I like is sim- simple things that cause sh- uh, shifts on reality. So that question there that I asked a second ago, who would it be without fear or doubt? Well, that's, sh- that's a shifter. Like that's like a what? Fuck, that's a big one. But then actually a simple question like how am I getting in my own way and then what what would I, what can I do allows you to actually step outside of yourself and observe yourself, which is a very interesting way to change your reality. Yeah, that's interesting. And so okay, that's what's number four then?
0: So four is always taking that future perspective of yourself. So it's it's a really simple way of going, well, what would future me do? So imagine I'd gone through all of the shit and you know, in two two years' time, I'm in wherever I, I choose to be, what would future me do? So if you've always looking to the future and saying and it it's playing on that regret piece. Do you want to live for the next two years with regret that you haven't made that choice or you haven't gone down that path? So what and so the question is what would future do you do?
1: And when you say future you, what do you mean? Do you mean like yeah to me talk to me more about what you mean by future you because that could be anything. So how do you anchor that back to the decision or the limiting belief?
0: So if, so for example, you go, all right, in five years time, for whatever reason, I, I, I have a choice right here, right now to stay in this career or continue to bust my, my guts in the business. In five years time, I may end up in a hospital with, with a heart attack. Hmm. So you play that, you play that scenario out, the current scenario out. What's going to happen? down the track. Do I want to be in hospital? And what decision would future me have made back at this? So, if I if I see that scenario playing out of, you know, completely stuck in my business, uh, being the business employee rather than the business owner, and I go, I'm missed, missing my children, I'm working, you know, 100 hours a week, uh, just grinding away, grind, 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 actually, that's not good for my mental health, that's not good for my health, I'll likely end up with a heart attack in five years' time. Hmm, in hospital, what would future me do? What would future me have said to myself? And it's about creating that wisdom, that insight and that wisdom of future me going, make the change now, don't end up in hospital. And it's it's literally the tra- understand the trajectory of your life path.
1: But the problem with that is that everyone lies to themselves anyway, and themselves anyway. And so, if you're lying to yourself today, then it's very easy to extrapolate that lie. So, using using the example that you gave, let's say there's an individual and they're working 100-hour weeks, right? And they're burnt out and they're frustrated. Now, there is a reason or a story that they're telling themselves in order to work 100-hour weeks. Now, that story might be something like if I put in a lot of hard work, I'm going to end up being more successful. Now, you, then you would have to ask why? Why? what is success and you know, it's probably going to be something like I'll have more money and I'll have more time and I'll live a better life, right? And so the function of them being in that pain in that moment is on the basis of a story that if they continue to do that thing, then they're going to end up in a good place, not a bad place. And so you can sit there and say, hey, if you keep doing this thing, you're going to end up having a heart attack and freaking mental breakdown and stuff. But- If they just extrapolated that story, then they would continue to live the path. They would continue to proliferate that story. They'd effectively be lying to themselves in the future. So how can you shift or how can you stop lying to yourself? Because there's so many versions of reality. There's so many ways. Like, all of it is true. The heart heart attack version of reality is true. The work hard to achieve success reality is true. The like all of it's true. So how how do how can you sort the wheat from the chaff or decide which version of true you're going to seek to believe in?
0: Well, it's about which narrative is helping you. Is this narrative helping you? A- and I often call bullshit too. So I actually say uh, and this is sometimes where you need another person to actually call bullshit for you. If you can't if you can't sort through that you get someone called bullshit for you. <laughs> Hire a bullshit detector. Mm. Yeah, absolu- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and and often people get caught up in their own stories, and I just go, "Well, how's that story helping you? How has it helped you to now? How is it going to help you to the future?"
1: This ties back to the the kind of values and purpose thing a little bit as well, right? Because I don't feel like we nailed that either. Actually, just thinking about it, how like. People's stories are going to be based around whether they're more in alignment with their values or not. Have you got any, you got any practical advice for, for people to, to kind of dig into that? I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but it's like like, if, if I think that success is me making $100 million, I could chase that and ultimately be terribly miserable. Uh, and and it's all a story. So in every story, it's just a, it's all of it, just a different version of reality. So how can people shift into a state where they're in the, they're living life on purpose?
0: Often there are other clues that you're not living a life on purpose. And it's about being open to that. Now the clues will usually come out. In your body, or in your environment, or through circumstances. So, clues for me: I know when I'm doing something that's against my grain, my body will break down. Now, that will come out in a form of some form of sickness, or it will come out in um, some some form of environmental happenings that subconsciously I've made all happen to go something's not right here what's going to give unfortunately people ignore these signs these warnings until they are in hospital but often when I say to them how are you really how are you really feeling um and do you have any symptoms of um like disease or illness and and you got to think about dis-ease the name, the word dis ease, it, it that's a sign or a symptom that something's not going right. And so the the warning or the triggers around if you're not living a life in alignment or on purpose with values, there's warning signs. And it's about being open to those warning signs and taking heed of what those warning signs actually are. Be it. What's happening in your body or what's being created in the environment around you, because subconsciously you're creating that environment and that reality around you as well.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. As you were saying that, I mean, you were talking about physical um, sickness, and it's one example, right? Only. But then if you put a different kind of layer and lens on that, and uh, if you ask yourself, Am am I happy? That's actually going to point to whether or not. Because like your your sickness, your dis ease, your whatever can simply be reflected in your satisfaction and happiness in your current state of existence, like as in its pure in its purest form. Because if your actions are resulting in you either doing things or being in places or surrounding yourself with all these things that may not be aligned with your values and your purpose, the outcome is you're not going to be in a flow state. You're not going to be in your most, ha- in your happiest, most empowered state of being. And so I guess the first step to that, you know, because like on an extreme end, you could end up very sick, you could end up all this kind of stuff. But a lot of people are walking through life and they're not ultimately happy. And a lot of people don't ask themselves the question, are they happy? But if they did, and then if you start to pull back through those, like what they are, if you ask yourself, am I happy? Some people are going to say, "Yes, I'm currently living in a state of bliss." Guess what? If you are, then you're probably living life on purpose with your value within your uh, values. It's probably you're probably in in you're doing the right thing. Congratulations, well done, awesome. Most people are not going to say that. Most people are going to have some variation from like fuck no to ah could probably be a little bit better. And you get to then go, well, what? Specific things in my life that I experience either in this moment or in my everyday life or anything are causing me to feel this way and why. And it could be the job, it could be the people you're surrounding yourself with, it could be where you live, it could be somebody else's expectations, it could be the way someone treats you. It could be the way you treat yourself. Maybe you've become really unhealthy and you're just like, you're not exercising and you're doing all this kind of stuff because you don't like the version of you. And so maybe it's yourself. And so then if you can then start to identify and even just create a list of all of the things that are triggering that you, when you think about, okay, I'm not happy with this, you can then create a list of all the things that you need to change. It's kind of like inversion thinking in a sense to go, okay, well, what, what is happiness? Happiness is not having all of the things that make me unhappy. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting way to kind of think about it. What do you think about that?
0: I, Goose, I'm in complete agreement with you. I'm just sitting there nodding my head 100%. So, for those that are listening, rather well than seeing the video playback, I'm nodding my head in vigorous agreement there. Um, and, and it really is actually removing all the things from your life that are not making you happy. It's, just, it's as simple as that. And, and I get that there are people who are in some really potentially terrible circumstances and are sitting there going, well, that's all fine for you to say. But it's not about doing it all at once. It's about formulating a plan to go, well, this component of my life is is really not in that flow state. This component is causing me unhappiness. And so, what's going to happen if I remove that? What's going to happen if I remove that and remove that? And in a similar way, I did that, I I regularly do this type of an exercise whereby I remove the unhappy elements out of my life and I went on a year of clearing back in I think 2017, 2018 and what opened up from my perception was a completely different Simone compared to the Simone that was the very what I would call cluttered life. Um, and we're talking clutter in the physical sense, we're talking clutter in the mind sense, in the time sense, the metaphysical sense, all of that. And so it's not about going, well, I'm just going to remove it all and just, you know, shed shed my whole life straight away. It's like, well, what's the first moving block? and And making that one change.
1: Yeah, I like that. The, the I'll bounce off that idea for a second because the some things, to your point, some things due to circumstance may not be things that you can immediately change. Some people are in pretty dire, dramatic situations and it's not too – got to be mindful you don't end up being too um, privileged in saying, ah, just go and change everything. A lot of things, though, that people experience – the only thing that holds them back from creating massive, radical, fundamental change is their ability to confront the fear that they face. Unless you are in some way, you know, physically or, you know, unless there's something outside of your direct control that is constraining you in a specific situation, your ability to change that situation is specifically limited by your capability to overcome your fear and doubt. That's probably one thing I would say. The other thing that I wanted to say off the back of what you were saying there, which was I thought was really interesting, is how to manage that, which can be a very useful, practical tool. Because sometimes you're going to sit there and think, think, there's things in my life that make me feel all kinds of things. Anxiety, stress, fear, whatever. And uh, one thing that I found to be pretty useful, and I'm not going to pretend like I've been doing this, like I've only started recently doing this, right? But uh, it's, no, it's a new thing to me, but I found it really powerful. Is you know, everyone talks about gratitude and stuff. And to be honest, half the time I'm just like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. But but actually taking those specific things, writing them down, the the things that you the things that you don't like, not just thinking about all the things like I'm grateful because I've got a fantastic relationship. I and mean, it's easy to be grateful for things that are that are good. But how do you become grateful for the things that actually cause you to feel something else? Something is causing you stress. Maybe you've got money stress. Maybe you're, f- maybe you're scared that you're going to run out of money. So, how can you reposition that as something that you can be grateful for? Because if you can do that, then you kind of neutralize the, the fear around it and you become suddenly empowered, not disempowered. And that can be a way for people to be able to move through the constraints or the shackles of, you know, fear around these kind of situations they're in. So, wonderful
0: question, Geese. Goose. The play on that is, or the hack, or the question, is what is, and it, it's all about creating that learning. So to be able to move out of that situation, you've got to create that learning. And a way to create that learning is, what is the opportunity or what is the gift of me being in this current situation? So it's, so it's turning that situation on its head and forcing yourself to answer what is the opportunity or what is the gift from this situation. And it, mi- it might sound like, uh, you know, really quite a high-level question going, that's not going to work, but often it, that question forces you to create a new learning. And it's that new learning that helps you to move forward from the fear. Yeah, I love that. Ha- You'll still have the fear. You'll still have the fear, absolutely. But it's like, what is the opportunity or what is the gift of this situation?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not about not having fear. It's about being able to manage your own state, right? It's not about not having anything. It's like not having fear would be to say the same thing as like not having happiness or joy or any of these other things. It's okay. like, But it, it is the degree to which you apply meaning to it and to the degree to which you allow any emotion to... the. the the downside of becoming heavily emotionally regulated is that you realise that none of it has as much meaning as you think it does. <laughs> so that's the the it's the upside. That's the upside. But then that's also the downside because then like really fucking amazing things can be happening, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like I, I don't know. I'm expo- I'll talk from personal experience. It's like, great, that's good. But it's not like you're not on these roller coasters of these peaks and troughs. You actually sort of bring it all back to some kind of like more centralised point. So, to the degree that you kind of like mellows things down a little bit, you know, get to operate a little differently. But, it, um, you know, it's still helpful to kind of find that path.
0: And I'd love to give an example so that people can understand that. Um, a few months ago, my business wasn't going that great. I was doing sales call after sales call after sales call. I just wasn't breaking through. So, I asked myself, well, what is the opportunity? What is the gift in this? And as soon as I asked myself that, I went, oh, my goodness, Simone, you've got a newborn. You've got an older child as well. You're trying to grapple with the complexities of everything that's happening in your personal life. Subconsciously, you're not making any of those sales happen because you actually wanna spend the time with your newborn. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, let's just take the pedal off. Let's just spend the time with the newborn. And the the other question I then asked myself was, well, what is the opportunity and the gift of having the newborn? How do I design my business around being able to be 100% present with him? And that created a distinct change in my business, the way I go about business, the way that I've structured the whole business to enable essentially me to have create the reality that I've dreamed of, being there for my children, being able to do the um, kids pick up from school as well as be there for the newborn, but then to create and structure the business so that's a thriving business as well. And so that was what came from one the question of what's the opportunity or what's the gift in this situation
1: yeah i think you just need to be prepared that it could lead you on a path that is different but that is ultimately better like you've got to be a little bit fluid with how those outcomes map out simone i've really enjoyed this conversation i think we've covered a lot of ground i think we've covered a lot of ground actually which is um which is super fun um before we start spiraling off spiraling off in more and more directions in a kind of fractal kind of format where we continuously unfold new answers to new questions, I might take the opportunity to to wrap that up for the moment. But um, really appreciate your time and really appreciate you sharing your ideas and perspectives on these very interesting cho- topics to be able to unlock greater levels of success and happiness and fulfillment. So thanks so much. Really appreciate your time.
0: Thanks so much, Goose. I've had an absolute ball today.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll see you again soon. Take care.